0: You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Well, this morning we're continuing uh, with the series that we started last week, going through the book of Acts. And um, we started with um, just Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And I want to do just a quick recap on that uh, because it's so important. It set the theme for the early church. And what we see is that in Acts 1, 7 and 8, when Jesus told them, that you were going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the earth, that really that was kind of a uh, table of context, if you would, for what took place in the remainder of the book of Acts. They, they did that, um, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And again, that conversation started from a very legitimate question that the disciples were asking Jesus. They asked him, hey, at what time are you going to come and restore the kingdom back to Israel? And they were saying, look, in essence, what they were asking Jesus is, when are you going to overthrow the government, the structure, the system? And I believe that's a real important question that we kind of feel in our heart today. Because we can kind of take two different postures if if we're not careful, if you would. A lot of times what we do is we spend a lot of time focusing on um, the television, focusing on news, looking at the political climate of our society, looking at the things that are happening in the world. And sometimes we fret, sometimes we get angry, sometimes we get frustrated. And here's what I want to tell you in grace is that the disciples that day... In Acts 1, 6, we're expressing the same thing. Jesus, we just saw you do what you said you were going to do. You, you said and you alluded to the fact you're going to the cross. We didn't understand that. That's why we all skipped town. But, but you did what you said you were going to do. You rose again. And that's really phenomenal. That really means you are who you said you were. You are the Messiah, and now the question is, when are you going to come and get us out of this mess? And sometimes, if we're not careful, we think the same thing. But Jesus' answer was perfect, and it's still the answer today. And it's this, hey, don't worry about that. What I want to do is I want to put the Holy Spirit in you so that you can begin to live from the inside out. Don't worry about things from the outside in Think about things from the inside out. And so when the Holy Spirit is in you, and this is what the book of Acts teaches us, is that the Holy Spirit becomes a very powerful force in the heart of a believer who yields in obedience to the Holy Spirit. God does amazing things. And it even begins to shape society around it. So it draws our attention to this, and so we see this very powerful theme that we have In the book of Acts, that the ministry that took place was not contingent upon human wisdom. It wasn't contingent upon kings and presidents and world leaders. It wasn't based in the strength of man. It wasn't based in the wisdom of man. It fully centered around the power of the Holy Spirit. The other thing that we see is this is that Jesus set in focus for them right from the jump and for us too to be mission-minded. That we have to look for ways to hear the Holy Spirit and to carry out the mission that Jesus came to earth to give to reconcile those who are far from Him. To bring them into the understanding and the revelation of the love that sets them free. To know the truth and the truth that will set them free in Jesus Christ. And we too are partakers and we join in that mission and we have to be mission-minded and mission-focused. Not only that, but it teaches us this, that one of the things I absolutely love about the book of Acts is that it was messy, but it was perfect. It was filled with flawed people. Even the apostles that we love made mistakes. And what that teaches us is this, is that nobody is disqualified From this great journey of walking with the Holy Spirit to carry the mission of Jesus Christ. He uses anybody who is willing and obedient. It's not about what you know. It's not about how good you are. It's about how yielded you are. But yet, even though it was messy, it was perfect. God did what he needed to do to bring the message of the kingdom to people who needed it. Not only that, but when Jesus was ascending to heaven and encouraging with these, the disciples with these words and, and, and through them to us. He told them some things that sometimes we pass by and we lose sight of. And it's a good reminder for us today again. Because Jesus said this, You're going to be my disciples in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was easy. That's where they were from. That's what they knew. That was their hometown. That was their comfort zone. But then Jesus said, You're going to go to Judea. Judea was a little different. Even though they were like the people in Jerusalem. Oh, they didn't just do things exactly the same way. They, they liked food a different way. They, they kind of did things just a little different. They talked a little different. And so Jesus was stretching them out of their comfort zone. And then he said, you're going to go to Samaria. And they probably wanted to hit the pause button on Jesus. And like, what are you talking about, Jesus? We don't like Samaritans. Samaritans are evil. Samaritans are bad. They had all these pre-decided thoughts about Samaritans, but yet Jesus said the mission of the kingdom, He was going to send them to, to those people, and then he, he finalized it with this thought, you're going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth, And even though that sounds like a geographic location, in essence what Jesus was saying is this, is that you're going to go to the barbarians, and you're going to go to the people who sacrifice humans to their gods, and you're going to carry the mission of the gospel. So what does that tell us there? It tells us this, is that there is absolutely no room in the kingdom when we're obedient to the Holy Spirit to hold any kind of predisposed Perception about anybody. There's no room for us seeing anything about race or religion. We are called to carry the gospel. I should have got a bigger amen on that. All right. Amen, Andy. All right. Okay. The third thing is this is that their eyes were set on eternity. The last thing that Jesus said, actually, the angels said to the disciples as they were staring up in heaven. And if you don't get a chuckle out of this, you got to read the Bible and just put yourself in that position because the disciples as Jesus is floating away are looking up and they're just staring, like looking at something in the sky, like a a helium balloon going up into space. And the angel of the Lord looked at him and said, Men of Galilee, what are you looking at? The same Jesus that you see ascending will also come back. And what does that tell us? It tells us this, the story's not over until Jesus comes back. The same power that filled the early church is still available for us today to see the message of the kingdom and the glory of the resurrected Jesus Christ carried to every place that he calls us to go. It's not over until Jesus comes back, all right? So this morning, I want to take a jump into something that I mentioned. And I want to talk to you about the culture, creating a culture of margin. And this seems a little bit abstract when we're talking about the book of Acts, because I'm going to jump over and come back to it next week, the, what, what we love about the book of Acts, which is the very beginning of uh, Acts chapter 2, when, the, the, when the, the church was filled with the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And again, if you missed last week, we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And next week we're going to talk about that. And next week I'm going to give you an opportunity if you want, if you haven't, to receive that gift. And I want to encourage you that if you've been teetering on the edge of that, to jump in. Because it is the best thing that you could have in your life. But this is what I want to talk about this morning because this is what I realized. Is that the disciples and the church had to make a decision in order to carry out... What the Holy Spirit was calling them to, and that was to create some margin in their life to allow the Holy Spirit to move. The reality is this, is that we want more of God. Every person in here should say, I want more of God. I want to see the Holy Spirit move in a greater way. But until we give the Holy Spirit margin to move, it's not going to happen. And so the early church did this, is that they constructed their lives in such a way that there was margin in their life for the Holy Spirit to move. I want to show you this. In Acts 2, 42-47. And you can open up your Bible, you can open it up on your app on your phone or look on the screen. But it says this, they devoted themselves... And I want to stop and tell you what this means. This word devoted means this, to give constant attention to something, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to breaking of bread into prayer. Everyone was filled with great awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that sounds exciting and it's wonderful but it's it's chalked full of this big huge principle of a culture of margin. Is that when the Holy Spirit filled them and they began to live out the mission of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and carry that to people, they reconstructed their lives in a manner that allowed the Holy Spirit to move. And friends, this morning, it's no different for us. We might desire it. We might know it. But until we make room for it, it's not going to flow the way that God desires for it to, or the way that we desire for it to flow in our life. And so I want to talk about this. I want to start by talking about a couple important truths about margin and why margin is important. See, margin doesn't just happen. Margin doesn't just happen. You have to take the time and make the changes in your life for margin to happen. We all know that we need more time. We all know that we need more rest. We all know that we want to spend more time with God. That we want to spend more time in valuable relationships And we say, where do we get this time? And the reality is that margin doesn't just happen. You have to make the changes and take the time to make margin to happen. The goals in our life, more importantly kingdom goals in our life, will not happen without margin. Some of you have received prophetic words. Some of you have have been told things, encouraging things. Some of, some of you know what the Lord has spoke to you about your future, and about your calling, and every person here is called. We firmly believe that. We believe every person here is gifted by God, called by God to do wonderful things. And some of you know it, but you're teetering on the edge of it. And part of the reason may be this is because there is not margin in your life to create the things that God is calling forth out of you. Because our goals, our kingdom goals, will not happen without margin. God will desperately interrupt our normal life to do what He calls us to do. And it will require us to lay something down. That is a principle that we see throughout the New Testament. And it's a very beautiful, beautiful thing. There is something amazing when we begin to lose ourselves. When we begin to get outside of ourselves, outside of our capacity... Outside of our strength, there's something that the Lord teaches us about the strength of His power and the strength of His hand in our life. The third thing that's very important about margin that I want to just drop in your head and why we need to think seriously about margin is this, is that when we learn God's design for margin, it brings us in a place of peace. It keeps us rejuvenated and filled with joy. And some of you desperately need that. You need to have peace and find peace. And in your life, when you say, God, I want to see peace and I want to feel rejuvenated, I don't want to burn the candle at both ends, and I don't want to constantly be grumpy and and, and be depressed about my day, again, part of the issue is that there's not enough margin in your life. So I want to talk about why margin matters. Why margin matters. Margin allows us to become responsive instead of reactionary to the situations of our life. If you find yourself being more reactionary, that you're flying off the handle and you feel stressed and you snap, how many of you guys don't show your hands, but you snapped at somebody this week? Yeah, if you did, some of you raised, oh, the police officer raised his hand, that's not good. All right. I love Bryce, I'm thankful for His calling on His life and Him laying down His life for us. But what happens is this, is that when we don't have margin, and one of the values of margin is this, is it keeps us in a responsive state. And this is, might sound like a dust statement, but I want to give it a little bit of a spiritual impact, and it's this, is that you can't listen to the Holy Spirit and do what the Holy Spirit wants you to do in a reactive state. You have to be Responsive. The way that God interacts with us is this, is that we sit, we're still, we listen, we hear, we meditate on it, and then we do it in obedience. But a lot of times, if we live our life without margin, we're simply all we can be relegated to is just reaction. We become highly reactionary. But margin gives us the ability to be responsive. Margin helps us to serve what we were created to be instead of, Becoming a product of what we serve. You were not created to be whatever you were at your work if it's driving you nuts and burning up all your time. That doesn't mean that God hasn't put some of you in a position at your work and you're using it to glorify God. But when we begin to serve other things, we, one thing we have to understand is that we are running out of margin. And what margin allows us to do is to reconnect into the one we serve and to become a product of what we were created to be and serve that instead of simply serving what we do. Margin helps us to manage our inward actions, our emotional responses, our stress, our anxiety, so that we can create healthy outward actions. This is so important because a lot of times when we think about goals in our life, we think about them from the outward perspective. I want to do this. I want to eat better. I want to be able to read my Bible more. I want to read better books. I want to spend better quality time with people. I want to take a step toward this thing that I feel like God is nudging me toward. But what we don't realize is this, is that margin starts on the inside. And when we put margin and we put rest, and we're going to talk about that today, when we put these things in our life, what happens is that we are able, God is able to speak to us and begin to control some of the inward things that are raging around in us. I want you to think about a scripture with me. I didn't put this in my notes, but I want to to talk about it in Philippians 4. Where Paul writes this, he says, rejoice, and again I tell you rejoice, be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication or prayer and petition. How many of you guys are familiar with that passage? How many of you guys have tried to stand on that passage? And you say, God, I I want to stay in a place where anxiety doesn't rule my heart. Can I give you a truth about that passage, what Paul is saying? When Paul mentions this idea of prayer, what he's saying is this. He's, He's talking about the dedicated times of prayer. One thing that we're going to see today at the very end, I'm going to give you some keys to margin. And one of the great things about some of the supernatural acts that took place in Acts chapter 3 is that Peter and John were just going to their daily time of prayer. What does that mean? Is that they had a margin in their life for prayer. And what Paul is saying in Philippians 4 is this, is that if you want to break the grip of anxiety and control the inward things that dictate your outward expression, then you have to create some margin on the inside, and one of those things is prayer. And that word petition is this, I want you all to visualize a picture of the wailing wall in Jerusalem. And if you've ever seen that wall and you've seen the Orthodox Jews and they have the Torah on their head and they continually do this, this is what they're doing is they're petitioning the Lord. But that petition doesn't happen on accident. It is a dedicated time of prayer. There is a margin in their life. And sometimes what we do is that we run and we run and we run and we raise our hands and we say, God, help me with the anxiety and the stress of my life. But the reality is we have to put the margin on the inside to get the outward expression. God gives us this wisdom. Margin helps us to prioritize the right things in life. We all need that. But I would say most importantly, Why we need margin is it gives us time to hear the Holy Spirit. I constructed this message a little different today because I wanted to give some time to some of these thoughts. And so what I'm going to ask you guys to do is to just bow your heads right now. And I want you to stop and think. Think about your life. Ask yourself these questions. Do I feel like I'm chasing my life right now? Does my life feel out of control? Is my life a series of things I do, but it doesn't reflect the value that I feel that I've been created for? Do I start my day stressed and end my day stressed? Do I want value, more of God's presence, to know Him deeper, but I don't know where to fit it in? I want you to pray with me quietly as I pray this out loud. Father, I know that you love me. I know that you care for me. And there are some things in my life that are out of order. Father, I need your help, your wisdom, and your strength to create margin. Show me what to lay down. Show me when to slow down. Show me when to stop. Holy Spirit, give me the strength in my life so that my life reflects a life lived for you. Amen. Okay. I want to go into the second thing here. Is this. As I want to talk and go a bit deeper if I can. And I want to, I want to show you how God ordained rest, the Sabbath. In Genesis chapter 2. And I'm to, I, want, I would like to attempt to show you the connection between margin rest, value, and the redemptive work of the kingdom. This is a big idea, but I want to try to slowly explain this. We're going to look at Genesis 2, 1-3. through 3. This is the seventh day of creation, the creation narrative that we read in the book of Genesis. And it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all of His work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Here we see the very beginning of biblical rest. The principle of rest called the Sabbath. I want to explain this to you and help, you, help us to understand God's value inside of this principle. This very powerful principle. The first thing and the most important thing that it shows us is this. Is the need to stop. To have a full Stop. Because this is what the word rest really means. Because a lot of times we read this and sometimes we assume, well, God got tired. God wasn't tired. He wasn't tired at all. What God was doing and what the Scripture tells us when we dig into this word is what we see is that God was completed. He had completed what He had done. He finished. And what's impressive about this is that this idea of completion, the full stop, the rest... That God ordained on the seventh day. He chose to put in the narrative of creation. And the reason why is because it holds the same value as what He created. This speaks a magnitude about who God is. How He values time. How He asks us to value time. So I want to talk through this. What this shows us is this is that we need to redeem God's ownership of time. The first thing that we see in this that can be understood in this short little passage that we read is this, is that we don't own time. And in society, we may have quietly or unconsciously made a trade-off. And the trade-off is this, is that we think we own our time. There are so many self-help books out there that talk about Minimizing, maximizing your time by minimizing whatever. And the premise it operates off of a lot of them are good, but sometimes it gives us the false presumption that we own our time. But what Scripture tells us here is that we don't own our time. Rather, God owns our time. God owns our time. And this begins to shape the way we think about our time. It should cause us to think about how we view time. Because the thing that you need to understand is that Genesis two one through three was pre sin. But at the curse, what we see is this: is that the labor of work was put upon man. God looked at Adam and hence looked at man and said, "You are going to labor for what you desire to create." And the curse was thrust upon work. And if we're honest, if we're honest, the value of our work is the value of our time. Or the value of our time is the value of our work. How do you get paid? Do you get paid for a 40-hour work week? Do you get paid for time spent at your office or at your job? Do they show, tell you just show up when you want and leave when you want? We don't care. Just come when you want. No, they say show up at this time and leave this time. And here's your other shift. Why? Because time equals value. But the problem is this, is that we conceded to this idea that we own time. But one of the things that this simple scripture teaches us is that we don't own time. None of us know how many days we have on this earth, do we? We don't control those days, do we? No, God ordained them. Time is His. And the value that we learn from making the shift by saying, God, my time is not mine, but my time is yours. It is your time is this, is that we begin to reconstruct the idea in our heart that our time is used to glorify God. Our time is used to glorify God. He ordained our day. We don't add to them. They have been created to show His glory. That's the first thing. That's the, probably the starting block if you would. We can't come into these other truths that God put in this principle by first not acknowledging the truth that time is His. It's not ours. The second thing that we see is this, is that we have to recalibrate the value of time. We don't think about time until we don't have it anymore, do we? Our tendency, and God understood this, is that we don't stop. We don't stop. And this is a problem because in our life, God knew that we needed to have a full stop, some margin rest, to be able to recalibrate in our life, to be able to recharge. And we have to value time. And I think one of the things that stands out so clear to me in this passage when we really think and we let the Holy Spirit just saturate this into our soul is this. Is that this God chose to put this into the narrative of creation. When He created the majesty of the heavens and the earth. When He ordained man. He chose to put rest into that narrative. And it speaks to something. Too often we burn the candle of our time down at both ends. And we're losing the value of time. But the Holy Spirit can help us to recalibrate the value of time. To begin to really enjoy the rest that God gave us. One of the things that I I love. um, I've got two beautiful brand new. Well, a niece and a nephew. Twins. Blake and Luke. Blake's a little girl. Luke's a little boy. Blake's chubby, and I mean Blake's not chubby. Luke's chubby, and Blake is just a sweet little princess. You guys are like, I don't want to hear about your niece and nephew. Too bad. I'm up here, and I'm gonna tell you about him, okay? Because I love him. And one of the things I like to do is I'll tell Kim. I'm like, call Spud and Kiki. We'll, we'll be driving down the road. I'll be like, call Spud and Kiki. Let's go hold the babies. I will straight, full stop, and be like, turn around. Sometimes, we don't tell them this. We're just waiting out of their house. <laughs> We're straight stalking the babies. We'll call them, keep calling them. You home? You home? We see your cars. <laughs> we see you in there. <laughs> and I'll hold, I'll hold those babies. And all of a sudden, I just Detox. And they're just sleeping in my arms. And they're just resting. And they're still and they're perfect and they're whole. And that's what my attention goes to when I think about this principle of recalibrating the value of time. Is that God did not simply create the vastness and the majesty of the universe and all the things we see in it and our lives. Simply for us to run and run and run. But He created it for us to rest and to enjoy. And so when we stop and we recharge, it does something to us. And the third thing is this. Is that we reclaim the value of rest. There's two things that the Scripture tells us here in Genesis 2, 1 and 3 is that God blessed the Sabbath. Now God blessed everything that He created. But the idea of this, is the idea of the blessing is this, is for us to be able to connect in with that which is holy and divine. And the only way we understand that is by looking at this word blessed. Because when God blesses something, in essence what it means is this, is that He touched it with the image of Himself. And when we read the, the, the creation narrative on each day, when God blessed it, he, in essence what He is saying is that I touched it with the holy and divine. But what's interesting is this, is He touched the day of rest with the holy and divine. And one of the values with rest, with creating a margin of rest, with having a Sabbath, is that we connect in ourselves... The truth that we have been created in the image of God. We reconnect with the holiness and the divinity of God. God ordained margin, ordained rest in us for us to reconnect with that truth. But we see another very powerful thing that we can easily skip over in this scripture in Genesis 2 1 through 3 is that not only did God bless it, but he called it holy. Now friends, this is the first time that God calls something holy. And what it means is this is that holy means that it is sanctified and set apart. And the value of rest in our life and why we need to reclaim this value in our life, is this is not only for us to reconnect with the image of God that we've been created, to be recharged in that, in that place, to rest and to enjoy. To understand that that time is not ours, but it's God's. But by God declaring it holy, it also sets something in us, for not only for us to receive, but to be a reflection of that in the world. And the way that God ordained rest is this, is that when we come, and we come to a full stop, and we sit in His presence... And we acknowledge that our time is His to give Him glory. To rest and be rejuvenated. And we reflect on what He is to us. And we hear what He is saying to us. And we receive His love. And we have that communion. In turn, we take that and we carry that out. That is the holiness of God. That we become a reflection of that in the world. Now I want to stop. And I want us to think and I want us to pray. If you'd bow your heads. I want us to think and ask God, do we truly understand how He created time to be used for His glory? How He created time to be used to rejuvenate our health? How He created time to be used to show the light of His love to other people. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, will you help me to see the truth of your word and be conformed into the image of your word? Forgive me if I've tried to control time. Time is not mine. Time is yours. Help me to understand how to be rejuvenated in your presence how to receive from you your thoughts in my time of rest and how to carry the thoughts that you have for others into the world. Amen. The last part is this, and we're going to end, and Justin, you can come on up. I want to talk just a few keys of reclaiming margin. And these are some practical things that you can take away, that you can put into your pocket and begin to begin to use. Simple things. Again, when we see and we look at Acts two, forty-two through forty-seven, and we see that they did some things, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That they held everything in common. Even they went as far as to sell property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They continued to meet together. In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together. I believe there's a couple of things that we can learn from this on how to create some margin in order to let the Holy Spirit move in a greater way. The first thing is this, is that we spend our best time doing the right things. We spend our best time doing the right things. A lot of times what we do is this, is that we say, God, I'm going to give you a portion of my time. Or I want to. Or we try to add that in. But the reality is is that God wants the best part of our time. And what the early church did was this. Is that they gave God the best part of their time. I alluded to this a little while ago. But in Acts 3 verse 1. This is so amazing. Such a powerful story that we see. It says this. One day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer. About 3 in the afternoon. That's super simple isn't it? But what proceeds after that verse is strictly phenomenal, isn't it? We see that there's a lame man from birth that's sitting outside there where he would have been begging day in and day out as people made their way to prayer. Within the Jewish custom, they prayed three times a day. In the morning, in the afternoon, this is when Peter and John would have been going. And then in the evening, and the beggars and the, the lame, they knew that and they would sit outside there to try to collect some money, some alms. And when they looked at Peter and John, he asked them, Do you have any silver, any gold, anything to give me? And what's Peter's response? Silver and gold, I have none, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Ba boom. You got to love the rest of the story. But can I tell you something? That story wouldn't have existed without margin. These guys were filled with the Holy Spirit. They saw God, Jesus, do amazing things. And they started to do amazing things. But they still had margin in their life. Oh man, come on. Oh. They still made the way to temple. They didn't have to go to temple. Jesus didn't tell them to go to temple. They went because they said, look, we're going to go because this is our margin where we're going to reconnect with God, with the Holy Spirit. And if God wants to interrupt your margin, he will interrupt your margin. But having margin for God to move is so important. And it starts when we give God the best of our time, not the rest of our time. We have to give him the best. And the best has to go to doing the right things. Where God is calling you is a right thing. What he's speaking about your future is a right thing. What he's speaking about your family is the right thing. About your marriage is the right thing. And when you give the best of your life to these things, it creates margin in your life for those things to grow. It starts with the Holy Spirit. The second thing is this. You have to disconnect to grow. Oh, we hate this. we got to hit the disconnect button, folks. <laughs> this is just stupid practical. Some of you are going to get really angry when I say this, but I love you. You're my friends. My mic literally just went out. Justin, you did that. All right. Switch, switch, kill this one. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. All right, we have to disconnect. Can you guys hear me? I'm disconnected. No? It's on. Can you guys hear me? Y'all are just missing lunch. It's not my fault. <laughs> Try to put me back on my handheld. I mean, on the uh, ear. See if it works. <laughs> there we go. All right, we'll just we'll do it as long as it lasts. All right, it's all right. I'm sorry about that. Is that we have to hit the disconnect button? Okay. And I just want to say this in a lot of grace. Is the first button that we need to hit is a disconnect from our phone or our computer. We need to hit that. It's hard. It's hard for me. I'm a guy that doesn't like to be without arms distance from my phone. But the reality is this, and and this isn't even something that, Scripture tells us this, but science is catching up with Scripture. The need to disconnect. But it's alarming. It's alarming what this next generation faces in the way of anxiety and depression. That there is a correlation. They're beginning to make a correlation between screen time. They've done studies and they've said that people that look at their their phone first thing in the morning have an increased anxiety rate. I I can't explain it. I'm not blaming the phone. And I don't think phones are bad. I think God can use these things and we need to be connected to people. I'm not slamming phones, but what I'm saying is this is that there's been a wire that's been crossed in our, in our brains somewhere. Where we feel like we have to be up and running from the very time we open our eyes until the last time we go to sleep. We close them. And I want to tell you that it, there's not an easier way to burn the candle at both ends. And to be absent a margin is when we are slaves to anything. And sometimes we become a slave to these things. But we become a slave to the computer. We become a slave to that, the demands that we have from emails, from responses, from social media, those things. And again, none of those tools are evil or bad. But the reality is, is when we can't hit the disconnect button button and put this down, turn this off, push it off to the side, let it charge, walk away from it. It tells us that there might be a problem and it's time to disconnect. The second way we need to disconnect is we need to disconnect from our work if you're bringing your work home with you and the stress of your work is coming home with you, it doesn't just stay on you. It goes to your children. It goes to your spouse. Husbands, wives, if you're carrying it into the house, it's not just staying on you. It's affecting the structure of your home. And here's the reality where we have to trust God in the area of our work is because we've fallen victim to some wrong thinking We make statements like this, if we don't handle it, nobody else will. That's a lie. If I don't get it done, this is going to happen. If I, I could lose my job. And the reality is, if if that's controlling you, then in great grace, I want you to think about this, because that's a trust issue. And it's time to trust God. I grew up in a home where my dad was in the military. He was a master sergeant in the army. And if I understood one thing, it was duty. And duty came above everything else. And I appreciate that value in my dad's life. He had an an intense sense of loyalty and an intense work ethic. My dad retired from the military and in between jobs started working at Walmart, assembling bicycles. Not because he needed the money. Because he needed something to do. And then he kept that job after he found another job. And he worked both of those jobs until he died. And sometimes, in great grace, really listen to me, sincere grace. Sometimes we can make a trade-off in our life. And begin to believe a lie. It's time to disconnect. The third one, which is, I think, equally hard, and all these are challenging, is that we have to disconnect from movement. Oh, man. I live in a house with five kids sometimes, and sometimes two. The other three are in college or are gone. But it's always movement. If you have toddlers, it's always moving. If you've got babies, it's always moving. If you've got a hyperactive spouse, it's always moving. I don't know, right? Your, your homes are always moving. But there's such a, a gift in the stillness. And stillness can teach us something. And we have to practice an ancient art that I want to honestly that the early church understood. It's the art of stillness because stillness allows us, our soul, to be still. And it connects us into what we are able to hear. I want to challenge you this week to give yourself one hour of time at the end of the day, of quality time. Not time where you are falling asleep. A time where you disconnect. That maybe you spend with your spouse or your children. And you put the phone down. And you steal your life. You disconnect from the stresses and the struggles of work. I know that they're still going to be there. And this may be the the hardest thing to do. But what happens is this. Is that when you allow this enough time. And this becomes a habit. And this margin becomes a reality in your life. You're going to hear God clear. You're going to reconnect with some of those promises that He spoke to you. You're going to fall back in love with some of the things that you enjoyed with your family, your children, your spouse. So simple. But a powerful tool to create margin. The next is this. Is that we have to fight for true relational depth. And I want to quickly hit on this. But there's something that Acts 2, 42-47 teaches us is that the disciples had two things in common. When they'd come and they'd share a meal, is that they would celebrate communion, which is what we do around the table. It's a holy meal. And the reason why it's holy is because it's centered around the sacrifice of Jesus. But then they expressed this other Greek word, which is koinonia, which is the fellowship and brotherly love that exists only within the confines of the love of Christ on a group of people, i.e. The church. And by celebrating these two powerful things, what they were doing was fighting for relational, true relational depth. And we need to restore that as a margin in the church because the truth is this, is that whatever God has called you to, He has not called you alone. He has called you in a connected state and you will need other people. But the depth of your relationship with other people will dictate the dimension to which you will go to what God has called you. And so we have to fight for true relational depth. And we have to make the time commitment to invest in each other. And it's not a superficial thing, but it revolves and centers around the nature of what Jesus did for us. And then it has immense encouragement. And I promise you, actually I know that Acts 2, 42-47 says this, but if we want the things that the early church expressed in the move of the Holy Spirit that they saw, Relational depth. The last thing is this. And this is sticky, but we see it in the scripture. Is that we have to make sure that our money has an eternal value. So we have to create margin in our lives. One of the greatest things that the early church did, and it was just simply miraculous, is that when there was a need, they sold what they had in order to meet the need. I want to make so many jokes here. I'm not going to. But why is this important? Because they created some margin in their money in order to see the Holy Spirit move. Oh, there's so much I can say about this. But The truth is this. Is where you spend your money reflects your value. And where you spend your money reflects where you're spending your time. And when we give God control of our money, what we're saying is this, is that God, you're not just controlling the minutes and the hours of my day. But you're controlling the, the direction of my as well. I want to pray for you this final prayer. This is it. Would you bow your heads? And I want you to pray this with me sincerely. If you desire margin in your life, Every one of these things that I mentioned today, I want to say just to you in full grace, is that these are areas that some of these things I'm growing in and some of these things I struggle in. And I want to tell you that if you found yourself and you go, man, I'm, I'm missing here and I'm missing here, don't be frustrated and don't get down. Because it's not in your strength and it's not a measure of your goodness. We all have to push into the grace that the Holy Spirit gives and the strength that the Holy Spirit gives. And there's grace for you. There's grace for me. And so our prayer is this. Oh precious Holy Spirit, we want more of you. We want to live in your power. We want to reflect your grace. We want to see the truth of the resurrection more in our lives. Holy Spirit, please help us to create margin. In our lives so that we can grow in the image of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you please help us to give the best of our time? Would you help us, Holy Spirit, in our weakness where we struggle to disconnect? Will you help us to disconnect? Would you help us to grow in the depth of our relationships, one with another? In our marriages, with our children. With the people in this house. And Holy Spirit, would you help us to honor you in our finances? We pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet, please? All right. If I could have a couple of minutes come up. I just want to encourage you this morning that maybe your decision this morning was to want more margin in my life. And, but there's an area that you might be struggling with in particular in that inside this idea and you want to pray with somebody, you want to join with somebody, then, then, then come up and receive ministry when I, in just a minute. You know, one of the wonderful things, and next week, please be here and please invite somebody Oh, because there's going to be a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I can tell you, we don't have to wait until next week that we can have it right now. And if you just simply need a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit, one of the things that the book of Acts teaches us that they weren't one and done after the day of Pentecost, but they got together and they said, Holy Spirit, do it again. We want to double dip. (laughs) And maybe that's what you need this morning. Maybe you need prayer for your physical body. There's something you're going through. Hey, I want to just give you a praise report. I went and saw my kidney doctor on Monday, and my numbers got better. I just need one on this side. You know what I'm saying? Everybody give me your blood type on the way. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. Forgive me for saying that. That was, Lord, forgive me. Really, Lord, please. Uh, I don't need your kidneys. (laughs) Oh my gosh, how to wreck a sermon. I'm going to write a book. (laughs) Let's get back on track, please. (sighs) Maybe you need prayer in your physical body. We want to pray for you. Oh, this is the beautiful thing again about the book of Acts. It's it's all in there. Hey, maybe, listen, I'm going to go as far as to say this. Maybe you just need a word from the Lord. Maybe you're saying, look, I I have margin, but I don't know what to do. Then don't wait. We want to pray with you. It's all available for you. Oh. Father, I just declare your grace, your grace in the, in, the, in the power of the Holy Spirit to fill each and every person here in a greater way. Whether it's a fresh baptism or just a renewed understanding of your calling and your gifts or to heal, to break off brokenness areas in our life. Holy Spirit, whatever it is, we receive the fullness of who you are in our life. I declare your grace and your blessing over every person in Jesus' name. Keep prayer coming up to pray for you. We love you. Have a great day.